0: of RegTech Roundup. This week's episode is titled Regulation of a Moving Target, Regulatory Requirements and Opportunities in the New World of Digital Assets. Brought to you, as always, by the Canadian RegTech Association. I'm your host, Paul McCrory. I'm a product owner and change initiative lead, focused in the areas of capital markets and wealth technology. Today, I'm joined by two true subject matter experts in the world of compliance and technology. Torstein, Braden, and Joe Schifano. Together, we're going to explore regulation of digital assets. We're going to talk about, while it's a novel instrument, many of the traditional regulator, regulatory approaches still apply, particularly when it pertains to the client. That said, the space is evolving rapidly, and there are opportunities for revisiting some of the regs and the techniques used to apply them. Torstein recently joined BIPBY as the head of regulatory affairs and chief compliance officer BitBuy was recently approved with the Canadian Securities Administrators as a restricted dealer and regulated marketplace for crypto assets in Canada. Torstein was previously the COO and CCO at Incident Canada and Incident Canada Cross. Prior to that, Torstein was the CCO at BMO Capital Markets and CEO and CCO at TriAT Canada Marketplace. Torstein recently was a member of the Ontario Securities Commission FinTech Advisory Committee and currently is a member of IROC's Crypto Asset Working Group. Torstein has three decades of experience in compliance, risk management, and capital markets. Joe brings 20 years of experience to Adventist Systems, where he partners with client stakeholders, champions their needs and concerns, communicates regulatory trends, offers insights to maximize effectiveness, and helps compliance and supervisory staff build best-in-class surveillance and monitoring capabilities. He most recently served as Deputy General Counsel and Global CCO at Tower Research Capital, where he led the global compliance team for this proprietary trading firm with 30 trading teams and activity in over 80 electronic markets globally. Earlier in his career, he was vice president on the New York Stock Exchange legal team and held front office roles in supervision and compliance at Barclays Capital and UBS Securities. Guys, thanks for joining Torstein, Joe, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, So really, from your bios, it's no secret. You've been in this game a long time. Um, Understanding compliance perspective. But recently, kind of the game has changed with these new players. And uh, I was hoping, Torstein, you could start as we talk about, you know, a a description of the similarities and differences um, between these digital assets and traditional equities. And then maybe, Joe, you can tell us about Um, how, from a compliance lens, uh, things need to be revisited and potentially reimagined.
1: All right, uh, I'll start. Um, One thing I wanted to bring up is the similarities. Usually when people talk about digital assets, they always say they're so different. It's a different asset class, should be handled differently. One thing that we always have to remember is there's the same motivations with uh, crypto or digital assets is the motivation for profit. So some of the motivations when people are trading crypto could be those negative motivations um, that we're concerned and we need to do surveillance for. So the other thing that's similar is most of the exchanges run off order books, but they also have different methods of uh, trading, but the traditional uh, access by a, a retail customer we on an order book, or uh, trading with a liquidity provider. So trading with a limit order or a market order. And then the technology often looks the same in the old world to the new world, where you're coming into an app and you're purchasing an asset. Uh, you enter the symbol and you say buy, and then you want to enter the mount or the, the units. Um, but what's really different with crypto is trades are in value, not in units really. People are coming in with a dollar mind a dollar in mind, and they're saying, I wanna buy $500 worth of of Bitcoin, not uh, five Bitcoin. So the prices are moving very actively during the day. And it's really about at the time you put the trade, it's a a value. So when you're doing a review of activity around about uh, a crypto asset, you have to think in value and not concern yourself with how many units were bought and sold. Um, Another thing that's really key is, Traditionally, everything in crypto is pre funded. That means you have to have the money in the account or the coins in the account before you can trade. This is different than uh, the traditional equity world. We have settlement t plus two you can short sell you can you can put multiple orders in and when one order gets filled you can cancel the other orders but that is not the same in the, the crypto world so it, it changes the behavior of how people are trading and it makes it more difficult for people to put in let's call it fake orders um there's other things that are, are really key to crypto is it trades 24 7 365 so you can trade in the middle of the night. Uh, you can be trade, uh, people from all around the world can be trading at any time. There's markets everywhere. Everything is done instantaneously in the in, in the trade activity. So that means from a, a surveillance or a firm point of view, how do you handle overnight? And how do you handle activities that happens in the middle of the night? So the, these are the, the big differences that are are difficult to, Imagine when you're building your system because we're used to a a 9.30 to four trading day. So um, we have to design our approach and our our processes around that. The last thing I just wanted to kind of touch on, it's very different is a a crypto asset doesn't really have a net asset value. You can't really identify what it's worth based on um, hard assets, unless you're gonna talk about a stable coin. But uh, most companies have like PE ratios, they have revenue, they have expenses. You can do some analysis, but a crypto asset, it's, it's more of a project with uh, future potential, supply and demand. So it's difficult to judge if something's cheap or expensive. And I'm sure people are coming up with models, but that is a very different approach. So as a, a compliance officer, you're looking at uh, a trade execution there's a lot more other factors that are different from our traditional equity world. So, Joe, do you want to jump in now?
2: Yeah, it, it wouldn't uh, surprise you at all to hear that uh, I agree with the initial premise uh, that <laughs> there might be more more similarities than differences. Um, and perhaps I'll approach this question in uh, how compliance officers and in, in you know in my experiences. Are looking at this landscape and this framework and how they're needing to think about things um, as they build out programs. So before I came to Aventus, I was a global CCO of a proprietary trading firm and you know, thought through building a program uh, across many jurisdictions and many asset classes. And when I got to Aventus, um, was when I, uh, you know, I had some experiences with digital assets, but now I was thinking about it a, a, a bit more thoughtfully. Um, and, a, and a bit more globally. And I went and asked a couple of CCOs, um, you know, one in particular at a, a very large crypto venue that's a client of ours. And I, you know, I asked, what are your primary concerns in, in building out a comp- compliance program? You came from a traditional space. How do you go about thinking through the critical needs in this new space? And the answer was, as you might expect, um, you start from the beginning. You ask yourself, what are your risks? What normal steps would I take to mitigate those risks? Uh, What does a reasonably designed compliance framework look like uh, relative to my business? And when I think about this um, across jurisdictions, well, I I go to the base rules and any guidance, luckily in Canada, there's been a series of of, uh, writings and uh, guidance uh, provided by uh, the various regulators Uh, You had last year the the joint CSA i guidance and notice 21239. And what's interesting about that document um, is that the principles are roughly the same uh, for digital assets relative to other asset classes. They reference uh, National Instrument 23101 and trading rules, they they reference 23103, and certainly they reference the the universal uh, market integrity rules. And of course they say, hey, we we might need to tailor some of these things uh, for crypto asset trading platforms and all the issues first time that you brought up. Um, But the rules that exist are a good starting point for any uh, compliance officer. So I I agree that there are a ton of similarities and Canadian regulators specifically are being very thoughtful and deliberate about their approach, um, but applying traditional principles at the outset. and I, I agree with the, the differences that you pointed out, particularly relative to technology, I would add to your list. Um, on some of the venues that we are doing business with, we see an extraordinary amount of data. So the technology required uh, to be performant and to, and to surveil in real time um, is critical. You need to think through that. We're also seeing that there are not necessarily common data formats. Um, across these venues coming from their various business lines. So compliance departments are working hard to normalize that data within their infrastructure and be able to actually see the activity well. And I think the other thing, and we'll get to this in another question, is particularly in digital assets, because it's so new uh, in many ways that the client support that folks need, it's a high touch customer support model. It's very consultative in nature. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit different than some of the other asset classes that are, that are more well-established.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, to look at it that way, that there are, are much more similarities than we think, um, and understanding from you, Joe, to, to talk about, so the the kind of the approach from the compliance world is to leverage what exists as well as simultaneously kind of starting from the beginning, like you said, like what are the new risks, how to address. So. As you build out this new kind of um, or amended uh, compliance program, I'm curious to know the state now for Aventist and how you're tackling the opportunity um, in this new piece, uh, and are you building out really wide and you know all the new things to consider so can you talk a bit about what your firm's doing.
2: Sure, so I would start with the premise that we think about this from a compliance officer and a surveillance analyst point of view. Uh, That's the way our business has been built over the last few years. That's our DNA. So I would first talk about what compliance officers generally are tasked with these days. In my mind, it's no secret that compliance teams in the last few years uh, have been tasked with maximizing their resources, both human and financial, and relying more and more on technology to meet their mandates. I think that's specifically true in digital assets as businesses are are, uh, starting from scratch and growing and need to be thoughtful on how they grow that business and, and the money they spend on various tools and the inherent risks in building those businesses. So those two things need to come together and folks are being very thoughtful about that. Getting into a, you know, a bit more specifics there, you know, and you're taking that step in, uh, forward with the digital assets business, generally compliance officers are thinking about four verticals at a very high level. They're thinking about KYC and AML, they're thinking about transaction monitoring, and they're thinking about trade surveillance. Um, And those kind of come together in this environment that's very disintermediated, right? Uh, I think if you think of an equities uh, market or a futures market, those compliance departments and skill sets are kind of separate. They kind of come together in digital assets in some interesting ways. And um, now these compliance teams are tasked with building that program with needing to understand how all those things come together. So lots of new technology tools have come into play that folks are um, using. So for example, there's a the growth of on-chain providers. Uh, these are the folks that are experts at going onto the blockchain and understanding the history of a wallet or the history of the movement of money on the blockchain with the, the, money, the movement of assets. And they help compliance groups fulfill their KYC and AML programs and they have to think about transaction monitoring now in the transaction monitoring space and this is something that we do um we think about the on and off ramps of money into digital wallets the fiat currency uh and looking at that and trying to determine whether there's any indicia of an aml issue and then lastly of course there's the trade surveillance piece to tr- the traditional issues relating to market manipulation or any kind of algo monitoring market rules those kinds of things. I think there are new compliance concepts that people are thinking through and we're thinking about them as well. Uh, Because of all these disparate tools, people are thinking about case management tools. They wanna understand all their risk in one place. Uh, They're thinking about reporting to regulators, SARS, those kinds of things. A lot of discussion around digital identity and verification um, as this market takes off. And of course, uh Torstein alluded to this a little bit. Uh, there's new types of market data out there that are available that people need to think about. So to that end, you asked specifically about Aventus. I wanted to start with what I think compliance officers are thinking about. Um, but it's in our DNA, it's it's kind of in our DNA to grow with our clients. And we're thinking about all these things. Um, so, you know, I, I want to give Torstein time here to, to answer this question, but let me just add in to that end. We announced recently something called Project 10. Uh, There's some good information out there in a press release. We're working closely with uh, two firms, TRM Labs and uh, Noto Bene, tribal rule solution and an on-chain surveillance provider and thinking through how to think about risk across those verticals. And then a quick example of that would be, what do you learn about a digital wallet in the KYC and AML space that informs how you uh, how you calibrate your reviews or your procedures when it relates to transaction monitoring and trade surveillance. So that's just a, a simple example of that. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you, Torstein uh, chime in on this question.
1: So I think that the best way to describe um, how we use our tools is that we have to have eyes on all of aspects of our business and that's uh, a compliance and supervision view. So when you're talking about the tools for a new asset class, there is uh, something like the blockchain, you have to actually, uh, you can't see the blockchain, you have to buy an application, you have to analyze it. So we needed to um, engage with various partners. Uh, So we we use a, a blockchain viewer, We can trace back where the coins came from, we can trace where the coins are going based on an address, we can do investigations, so we have to have eyes on what our customers, who we know, what they're doing, where the uh, um, coins came from, there's always a challenge when it comes from um, a far distant location of various wallets, where did it originate, if it goes through a service provider. But that's something that is essential is to know what is happening with the, the cryptocurrencies that your, your clients are, are trading uh, uh, outside of your platform. And when they bring them back in, because you don't want to have what you call tainted coins or you don't want to have your clients sending to tainted locations. The second thing is when they're doing activity on your platform, you have to be able to have all eyes on what they're doing there. And that's where we selected event to. Uh, survey our marketplace so we have a a marketplace that operates an order book and our clients which are known to us are entering orders onto that book and we needed a tool to uh, uh, enter in criteria to decide if everything that we see is appropriate so uh, you need a tool to do that because there's uh, massive amounts of orders and trades and multiple uh, coins that are trading at the same time You want to be able to put that together. And then um, since this trades 24 hours a day, you need to package that up. And every day you come in the next day and review the previous day's activity. So that is a traditional compliance um, approach. But uh, all the tools have to go through the full life cycle of onboarding a client, um, bringing their fiat currencies in, uh, trading on your own internal um, platform, marketplace. And then when they have bought a crypto a coin and they want to send it somewhere else, there's something called the travel rule. So you would need a service or a tool to assist you in collecting the information, to send that travel rule information to the the other party. So when they receive that uh, coin that they know it, it's either for the same person or going to a different person, they can do an evaluation for any money laundering. So all these things can fit together electronically. And sometimes you have to piece different vendors together. And um, one great thing in uh, modern time is API integration, where you can gather things together and partners can work together sharing the information that's uh, safe and secure. Um, that's obviously a really important element of all of this, even with the anonymity of the crypto uh, blockchain environment. You still need to have a parallel side of everything to know who the client is, your client, and uh, be able to provide that information as appropriate uh, to ensure that the we prevent any any money uh, for any money laundering or terrorist financing. So, the other thing that you always have to step back and ha- figure out how you're going to apply all of this to your business and create the policies and procedures that work, and uh, having a system where you can do audit trail and prove that you've done what you said you're going to do. So, you have your policies and procedures say you're going to review for uh, manipulative activity, and then you have to prove that you've actually been able to identify if something looks like it's manipulative and then investigate and then track who investigated and close out that alert. So that's something that is critical from a surveillance point of view and and supervision of your business activities to keep high integrity into your market and protect your users from any uh, misuse of the market. So that is um, really important in this new world of a, a new digital asset is that you can accomplish and uh, prevent all the foul things that could potentially have impacted um, an asset class that is novel, but truly the the motivations, as I mentioned earlier, are potentially the exact same. And uh, you can apply some of the old uh, processes and then accommodate the new style, the new channel of delivery. I, I always like to look at this. Crypto is a different channel of delivering access to risk, access, access to an investment. And the, the the choice of which ones to buy is maybe not up to us, but we have to ensure that we understand what they're doing and then what they're doing is appropriate and suitable and um, not uh, damaging to the integrity of the market.
0: Interesting the way you say that, right? I mean, and it sounds, I mean, it would be exciting because you're using, you're both, using traditional views of compliance and surveillance and, you know, your experience as compliance officers. um, But you're kind of leveraging new tools to address this new use case of a new asset class. I mean, imagine new asset class like this is a pretty monumental uh, change to um, the way you deliver risk, like you say, different channels of delivery. Um, So I would imagine it's exciting how you guys feel, but um, the, the last thing i want to get into in this in this podcast is understanding kind of future proofing and what requirements you know as we move forward or as the world moves forward um with digital assets what requirements are need to go deeper i know you talked joe about the four pillars and you talked about how using these tools to address like traditional views Torstein. um but Torstein, maybe you can start saying from the bit by perspective in the landscape what are the like of these pillars what needs to go deeper
1: well, one thing that has to be clear is what is expected by the regulators. And after you operate your business and you you come from a a fintech sort of environment, hyper growth, and now you you're into a new realm of um, a lot of people are learning about what the what these coins are doing, and there's a lot of um, positive and negative views. There's um, lots of debates about uh, who should regulate them. What I, what I think is really important is we get the balance between self-regulation and principle-based regulation and prescriptive-based regulation. Those are three areas that we we as an industry have to be able to kind of divide up. What parts are going to be very prescriptive and what parts are, are all of the firms gonna do differently, but follow nice proper principles. And then how much can we self-regulate? Um, right now, you would say uh, around the world, it's it's highly self-regulated. We don't have any SROs per se, but we are self-regulating ourselves because it's a good business practice. But the people that get outside of that um, are going to get identified over time, and that's why we're going to get more of that prescriptive and principal, potentially principal re- regulation. The other thing that's really important for the, uh, I guess, the regulators to sort out is. Try to determine if this is a commodity, a security, a derivative, and or a currency, and it it could be all of them, and that's and if it's all of them, uh, trying to figure out the commodities regulator to regulate it first, and then there's the securities regulator, and then there's um, the Bank of Canada and Canada for the, the currency. There they have to somehow find a way to either work together, not divide and conquer, but work together to ensure that the operation of a business that's offering one product that could have four different views um, can operate within a regime of regulation and, and feel comfortable that they can meet expectations. And they're not always looking behind to figure out, well, did I do that right? Um, they have to get some sort of comfort that, that if we we believe we're doing the right thing, that it actually we can measure it. Um, then the, the last thing is to kind of accept um, that this is not going this is not going away. I think there's always this impression that uh, the governments are going to step in and make this go away. Uh, it's uh, the old analogy, the horses out of the barn type sort of situation. This is rampant um, around the world, and this is a large, almost two and a half trillion dollar asset class that is going to be used by many different people in many different jurisdictions. And the, probably the most appropriate thing for um, the regulators is to come up with ways that they work with the product versus in some jurisdictions, they seem, simply want to just call it illegal. Uh, or um, try to ban it, and that doesn't seem to be the way this is going to work well with them. Uh, so that is the, the the future. State is to accept. I mean, hard to, hard to tell a regulator to accept that this is a this is a a product that's going to be pursued by the general population, and then try to work with the industry to find out how we can best protect um, investors from all those bad behaviors and to support them in the positive uh, way to ensure that um, there's some sort of licensing. So you can exclude people that are bad actors, that there is some sort of like uh, license or registration. There's uh, audits of some sort. There's uh, um, anti-money laundering um, efforts and all those traditional processes Integrate in well, so I think that's a, a general theme. It's more about getting everyone on the same path. It, right now, it feels like we are um, very split as a as a global community on where we want to go on this.
0: That that's interesting. I, I want to get your piece on this show too. Based on that, it sounds like you know, as you drive in this dynamic world and want to go deeper on the pillars that you've you know outlined before, it sounds like there's still a lot of um, advice from a global perspective is signs advice. You know? So what do you do from a tech perspective, from an advantage perspective or in the tech space or a servicing tools perspective, You know, with kind of working at one end while the other end is still uh, yet to be defined?
2: Yeah, it's a fair point. And we're basically dealing with a new uh, transformational technology while trying to build a business um, or build a compliance program with the existing Um, principles existing regulations uh, and existing tools and in some cases some some newer tools Um, I think Torstein said something that that's worth you know repeating this is not going away Uh, when the internet first came out uh, you know there was you'd be surprised to know a real push to slow it down or not uh, there was a lack of understanding of what it was Uh, was it a separate category of some sort I don't think anyone first understood initially that it was simply going to embed itself in our daily lives. Um, and once, it, once that uh, got going, it got going. And another interesting point I heard recently, I won't take credit for it, is that there are, there's a younger population out there that's grown up digitally native. Um, and as they get older and they have control, you know, um, and as they vote, and as they participate in business, um, the world is moving in that direction. Um, so as compliance officers, we need to do the, do the best we can with what we have to do this in a safe manner and work closely with our regulators and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to um, you know, agree with Torstein on that, on that point. But I think as we go deeper into each pillar, just bringing it, uh, you know, dialing it back to this issue of a compliance program and, sur- and surveillance, tools and this sort of thing and what we're hearing from our clients and in the industry in general and i talked to lots of prospects i think they're basically asking for four things uh, in this process they're asking for better technology they're asking for best in breed tools they're asking for better process which means and torsan alluded to it interoperability apis flexibility automation those sorts of things and they're asking for expert guidance because of the newness here they want to do this in an appropriate way, together with regulators, um, because there is a general understanding that there are some concepts that need to uh, move with the technology.
0: I appreciate that. That's. It sounds to me again like it sounds exciting You're in a new world, and I appreciate um, the time you both have given here. And so, re- listening to you, it's really not as unfamiliar as I first supposed in terms of regulating a new space. um, And I'm looking forward to understanding how the regulatory community responds to the new requirements that the space and the clients demand. And as you said, you can use this as an opportunity to revisit our traditional outlooks um, on compliance and surveillance. Uh, So again, thanks to you both. Um, This is going to be on our podcast website and you can keep up to date with the Canadian RegTech Association podcasts and upcoming events uh, through the website. Thanks very much, everyone.
2: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul.